Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. Akuin Ekaku Zenji, often quoted Koho Gemyo, Kofang Wanmyo, 1238 to 1295. You who commit yourself to the practice of Zen must be equipped with three essentials a great root of faith a great ball of doubt, a great tenacity of purpose. Lacking any one of these, you are like a tripod with only two legs. Hakuin commented, by great root of faith is meant the belief that each and every one of you has an essential self-nature you can see into, and the belief in a means by which this self-nature can be fully penetrated. Even though you attain this belief, you cannot break through and penetrate to total awakening unless feelings of fundamental doubt arise as you work on the difficult to pass koans. And even if these doubts build up and crystallize and you yourself become a great doubting mass, you will be unable to break that doubting mass apart unless you constantly bore into those koans with a great burning tenacity of purpose. Thus it is said that it takes three long kalpas for lazy and inattentive sentient beings to attain nirvana while for the fearless and stout-hearted, Buddhahood comes in a single instant of thought. What you must do is to concentrate single-mindedly on bringing all your native potential into play. The practice of Zen is like making a fire by friction. This, the essential thing as you rub wood against stone is to apply continuous all out effort. If you stop when you see the first sign of smoke, you will never get even a flicker of fire. Good afternoon. Part five of our one day Rohatsu. So we just heard a teaching by Hakuin that is really the distillation of his life. He speaks first about Koho Gemyo's three essentials, the first of which is 
a great root of faith. You may have found that it's not so easy to develop that great root of faith. Some of you may come by it quite naturally. Others may feel somehow cut adrift, separated from it from time to time. But this is absolutely necessary to develop. So you may ask, how? Hakuin devoted his life to showing the way. It's not enough to hear, oh, you must develop a great root of faith. You cannot hear that from others. It doesn't happen that way. Faith is something that arises I might say, in the worst of circumstances. Facing one's own frailties, seeing perhaps how we hurl abuse at others when we're immersed in old fears and resentments. Or how we shrink in aversion from anything that may prove to be challenging more than we can take, perhaps. But we take up the practice of Zen, I think, when we're brave enough to confront those old patterns and when something moves us, something moves us to make a vow to uproot them. And the deeper we go, the more we see, and the more we see, the more we find ourselves reciting the verse of purification. Continuing on without fail. Developing steadiness in our practice we realize it's not we ourselves who are cultivating this root of faith. It's our essential self nature that's beckoning, beckoning. And we are moving toward it. But Hakuin says, we must go further. 
we must become a great doubting mass. Working with Mo, working with koans. There's no superficial equanimity. That's worth our involvement here. We have to delve in bore into the koans with a great, as he says, burning tenacity of purpose. We have to ask again and again, what is Mu? What is this? Who am I? What is my true self before my parents were born? What is the sound of one hand? And we have to do it consistently, single-mindedly. I think we all know the difference between full bore concentration and the occasional return to awareness only to drift off again. So it's instant karma, right? Without that full-blown, full-bore concentration, everything that's wrong rears up and convinces you that's what's real. Everything around you Everything inside protests. So, again, all out effort. And again, and because most of us are slow learners, again. Burning tenacity of purpose exactly describes our hero, Hakuin. He's called the revitalizer of Rinzai Zen in Japan, but in truth, he was more than that. He was a true revolutionary. In his fervor for the way, he was critical of the many Rinzai Zen priests he visited who to him were rather complacent about whatever achievements they felt they had attained who led lives of comfort, who were imperious, disdainful, ignored the plight of the commoners, the villagers, the feudal people who worked the fields, who looked to them for spiritual guidance. 
Hakuin was equally critical of Soto practice of silent illumination, just sitting, and of Pure Land repetition of Nembutsu. Hakuin stressed how important it is to integrate Zen practice with activity of daily life. And he often quoted Dai A. Soko, Chinese, Tahui Tsungkao, who lived from 1089 to 1163, and said, contemplation amid This is going to be a kind of show and tell Teisho because Hakuin was always teaching through his artwork. And in this wonderful book, The Sound of, oh no, The Sound of One Hand. This is from an exhibition that was put together I saw it at the Japan Society, I think in 2010 or 2011. Anyway, let me get this. About that quotation from Dai A. He did, Hakuin did a painting and the main figure in this painting is Chu, the character Chu, which means amid. Let's see if I can figure out how to show this to you. No, the other way. Show and tell. Well, maybe not. Yeah, take this over here. Can you see a little bit? It goes on and on and on down to the bottom. And that is true amid contemplation, amid activity is a hundred million times better and contemplation in stillness. Hakuin showed us that it's vital to continue one's immersion in one's koan amid whatever one is doing washing dishes, preparing a meal, sweeping, cleaning, gardening, doing takuhatsu. Any occupation. We don't set our practice down and then hurry through some task. The task itself is it. So true amid. And Hakuin said, whether you devote your time on earth to serious religious practice or idle it away depends on you alone. 
How do you do your work? Are you idling your life away while you're doing it? Or are you applying yourself to it as your serious religious practice? This is his challenge to us. And he said, the time to gain release from that endless suffering is now. What are you waiting for? Even though Hakuin lived most of his life in the dilapidated small temple Shoinji in Hara, he had an enormous influence in his own time and ever after. He was quite simply a genius. He was born in 1686 on the hour, the day, and the year of the ox. This ox is coming our way very soon. He had fathomless energy. He was always going here and there to talk to groups and having people in at Shoinji. He wrote in a vivid, colloquial, and strongly encouraging style, as we see from our nightly readings of Roatsu exhortations. He was the author of 30 books, including his autobiography, which I'm sure almost everyone has read, Wild Ivy. He wrote commentaries on sutras, on koan collections, on Chinese and master's texts, and copious correspondence, much of which has been brought together, quite fascinating letters that you can read in one of the books that, were, that was brought out by uh, Waddell. And of course, essays and poems, like the Song of Zazen, which I know we're all missing so much. Sentient beings are fundamentally Buddhas. It is like ice and water. Apart from water, no ice can exist. Outside sentient beings, where do we find the Buddhas? Okay, okay, we decided not to do it because we didn't have enough time, so I'm not allowed to recite the whole thing, but we all love the song of Zazen, which is chanted every day in Japanese Rinzai monasteries. And Hakuin also formulated the system of how the koans should be grouped and created his own two-part koan, the sound of one hand and stop all sound. And all Rinzai Zen temples trace their heritage to Hakuin. In fact, Rinzai Zen is known as Hakuin Zen ever since the master's life. The two Rinzai training lineages come down from his Dharma grandsons, Inzan Ian and Takuju Kosen. Hakuin conveyed awakened mind by every means possible. 
especially the visual. As I said, he was renowned as an artist. Tens of thousands of his works are still circulating, not only the ones in temples and museums. And he had a great reverence for the ancestors of old, particularly Dayo Kokushi, who was Shomyo Nampo, his heir, Daito Kokushi, who was Shuho Myocho, the founder of Daitokuji, and his heir, Kanzan Egen, the founder of Myoshinji. He wanted to recreate the pure Zen that had been brought back from China in the 13th century by Daio Kokushi after he had trained with Shutang in China. And among Akuin's works is an homage to those three, Otokan, they are called, Daio Kokushi, Daito Kokushi, and Kanzan. So here they are. We'll see if this comes through. This way. All three are now ready to greet you. So all of us who have been practicing for some time really revere Hakuin and eagerly anticipate Rohatsu every year, not only because of the incredible opportunity to sit long and get tired, but to meet up with Master Hakuin again and again. And so we know a lot about his life. I'm sure you've done a lot of reading, you've heard Teisho, and perhaps you've attended exhibitions of his work. So I'll just touch briefly on some key moments, all of which are imbued with one word particularly, which is zeal, Z-E-A-L. There are three parts of his life, three types of zeal, three periods. The first was his zeal to become a monk. And as with many great Chinese masters, early on his parents were not that enthusiastic. But eventually, at uh, the age of 15, he was ordained. The second zeal was his zeal to awaken. And this zeal, we might say, was what drove him on and on. The third zeal was to give it all away, to become the great vessel of Dharma that we know as Hakuin. 
And he had an extremely sensitive nature, very impressionable as child, which led to the first zeal. Once his mother took him to hear a sermon by Nichiren priest, and it was about hell in graphic detail. And it became a very real presence in his life, something he desperately tried to avoid at first. Why did he become a monk? Well, it seemed to him that that was the only way forward to find some kind of inner peace and to be assured of not falling into hell. He also saw later on in his life the hell that others had fallen into in this very incarnation. And of course, he would enter into any state to offer his deep compassion. So he was ordained and given the Buddhist name Ekaku, which means wise crane. And at 19, entered a training monastery, Zen Soji. And while he was there, he heard the story of Ganto's death at the hands of bandits and fell into despair. How could a great master like Ganto be killed by ruffians? If that could happen, well, what's the use of being a monk? So all of a sudden, the first zeal fell into smithereens and he left his training. It was a period of unbearable despair. He became involved with literature and calligraphy and didn't know what to do with his life. And one day he saw a great calligraphy by Daigu Sochiku and marveled at the vigorous brushwork and the inscription and thought to himself, this is the product of truly enlightened activity. Around the same time, his mother died. And then He visited a temple that was in the process of airing out its library and reaching blindly for a book, he opened it and came upon the story of Jimyo Soen, whose great aspiration caused him to pierce his thigh with an awl whenever he felt the sleep demon approaching. Here we just have a little drink of tea. But tonight, I'm sure every household has something resembling and all. So Hakuin began a pilgrimage, sitting at various temples, meeting with masters of all three Zen sects, seeking a true teacher. And everyone he met was a disappointment. Everyone lacked what he spoke of as that great burning tenacity of purpose. At age 23, he traveled to Eganji along the Japanese sea coast to meet someone who is highly regarded, 
but he was unimpressed with this priest as well. So he secluded himself in the shrine room at the back of the temple and began a week-long solitary retreat. Deeply engrossed in On the final night, he heard a distant temple bell. Did you hear? And you too had this intense experience, right? Afterwards, as he put it, he was puffed up with a soaring pride, bursting with arrogance, regarding everyone contemptuously as so many lumps of dirt. And then, of course, he sought a master to affirm his breakthrough. Someone recommended that he go to Shoujiroujin, as Dokyo Etan was known, who told him, commitment to studying Zen must be genuine. Practice must be true practice. Realization must be true realization. And Dokyo Eitan proceeded to make Hakuin's life utterly miserable, refusing to accept any of his answers to a single one of the koans he was given. Then, some months later, Hakuin had a great awakening. And Dokyo Etan told him, the further you proceed into enlightenment, the harder you must strive. Now you must devote your efforts to post-satori training to extend the gift of dharma for the liberation of all beings. Never become complacent. All told, Hakuin stayed with Dokyo Etan about eight months and was named as his Dharma heir and asked to be his successor at Shojuan. He was asked, but he didn't accept. He decided to leave. He went back to Shoinji and then traveled again. Many people have wondered why Hakuin didn't stay with Dokyo Etan or why he never returned. 
perhaps their relationship had come to completion in his mind. Perhaps he had to leave in order to proceed further as his teacher had told him. So in any case, he continued traveling, seeking out Zen teachers, visiting Soto temples. He was a great admirer of Dogen and spending intervening months back at Shoinji. Still there was something, some tiny pebble in his shoe, something not quite settled within, like Eka going to Bodhidharma after many years of practice, imploring him, my mind is not at peace. Please pacify my mind. Well, evidently this combination of continued mental uneasiness and physical exhaustion caused a serious illness, eventually leading Hakuin to consult with a Taoist hermit, Hakuyu, whose healing techniques seem to have been a combination of visualization and what he called introspective meditation, a kind of body scanning like the Theravada methods used in mindfulness training. Whatever they were, they worked. Hakuin was restored to physical health after about two years and returned again to Shoinji and returned to travel again. Still not yet. feeling that the equanimity he had experienced was impossible to sustain in activity, in daily life. I don't know, maybe you are familiar with this, having some very beautiful experience that was life transforming and somehow due to the accumulated evil karma of everybody else around you, you lose it or it seems so anyway. Hakuin put it in an interesting way I feel like a physician who possesses a wonderful knowledge of medicine, but has no effective means of curing an actual sickness. How can I possibly hope to help rid other sentient beings of their afflictions as long as I still suffer from illness myself. He knew he needed to push onward, go further, integrate still more his realization.
and his daily life. So at the age of 30, he said, I grasped the whip in hand and spurred the dead ox forward once again. He stayed for more than a year in a tiny mountain hut in Mino province, fasting, sitting all night and chanting all day, often jumping up and dancing among many joyful breakthroughs. He said of this time, as for sitting, sitting is something that should include fits of ecstatic laughter brains that make you slump to the ground, clutching your belly. Sometimes you may feel self-conscious about that when you're in the Zendo live with 50 or so other people, right? Well, not you, Reiko. No, never self-conscious about it. Yay! I can't hear what she's saying to me, luckily. But you're at home now. You're in your home zendo. And even though you've been warned, don't move. Your home zendo is a part of this one complete zendo that is spanning the entire globe. Anytime you feel you are indeed one with this great vivid cosmos and you break into laughter, don't inhibit yourself. Slump to the ground, clutching your belly, okay? We will understand if your little image disappears. So there he was in this little hut, dancing, chanting, and sitting, sitting, sitting. The news came that his father was critically ill and was asking him to return and take charge of Shoinji. Now at this point, Shoinji, which was considered a branch temple of a branch temple, was in advanced stages of ruin. The roofs leaked, the floors were saturated. All the temple ritual objects had been pawned to pay creditors. The only assets that remained, Hakuin said, were the moonlight and the sound of the wind. Some of you may remember Tore Ng's biography about Hakuin, section about his time there as first 10 years as head priest at Choenji. Tore wrote, he applied himself single-mindedly to his practice. He endured great privation without ever deviating from his spare, simple way of life. When darkness fell, he would climb inside a derelict old palanquin and seat himself on a cushion he placed on the floorboard. 
one of the young boys studying at the temple would come, wrap the master's body in a futon and cinch him up tightly into this position with ropes. There he would remain motionless like a painting of Bodhidharma until the following day when the boy would come to untie him. The same routine was repeated nightly. Hakuin remained at Shoenji the rest of his life, except for lecture tours. He taught monks and lay people from the village and from all over Japan as his reputation grew. He drove his monks the way he drove himself with koan after koan. With the villagers, he was quite warm, empathetic. And his skillful means, he used whatever was appropriate. Other schools like Soto Zen, Pure Land Buddhism, whatever was appropriate for these villagers. <clears throat> his main teachings were how to live, how to refrain from harming others, how to uphold virtue, how to live up to your birthright as a Buddha. And he encouraged them, as well as the monks, to break through and gave out his drawings willy-nilly to everyone, expressing his Zen in a direct and engaging and approachable way, and telling stories. And his humor and playfulness were so important to the people who gathered around the monks kept coming. Some 150 to 300 monks found little places all around this derelict old temple. There wasn't any room to stay inside. They made themselves huts. They found an old, some kind of battered thing that they lived in and just kept staying there to be taught by him. And as I mentioned in his artwork, he would integrate inscriptions, always teaching Dharma with ever-growing intensity, ever-deepening urgency. I first encountered Hakuin when I first found a book by Yogen Senzaki, this was in 1961, Zen Flesh, Zen Bones. And in there, this was published um, in 1957, a year before Yogen Senzaki's death. It included The Gateless Gate and a compilation called 101 Zen Stories. Some of you know those stories, such as Hakuin's Is That So? So Deska. About the baby that was thrust upon him as his own. And I have to show you one more picture having to do with that. This was. Uh, something that he did at the age of 81. He painted himself as a young monk, meditating outdoors. I don't know if you'll be able to see it. That's kind of a small one. But interestingly, 
This, as a young monk, as you know from that story, he was accused of fathering a baby. And villagers who came and angrily denounced him, pushing the baby at him, he just said, is that so? And eventually they came back and the woman confessed that the father was actually a young man and wanted the baby back. And what did he say? Is that so? So this. Anyway, that baby later grew up to become a monk named Sore, who entered Ryushoji in Iaida. And this little painting that Hakuin did, he gave to that young monk at that time. What else was in that 101 stories? Uh, the Gates of Paradise, his retort to a samurai, and Fire Poker Zen, Fire Poker Zen, about an old woman that he admired who was more than a match for his students. In fact, every time one of his students would come, she would beat him roundly with a fire poker. That story and I think five others um, in which Hakuin appears can be found in The Hidden Lamp. Some of you have this book. The Hidden Lamp, stories from 25 centuries of awakened women, edited by Florence Kaplow and Susan Moon. It came out in 2013. And my contribution was a story about a Pure Land practitioner, an elderly woman who went to hear Master Hakuin give a lecture in which he said, your mind is the pure land and your body is Amida Buddha. When Amida Buddha appears, mountains, rivers, forests, and fields all radiate a great light. If you want to understand, look into your own heart. The old woman pondered Hakuin's words day and night, waking and sleeping. One day, as she was washing a pot after breakfast, a great light flashed through her mind. She dropped the pot and ran to tell Hakuin, Amida Buddha filled my whole body. Mountains, rivers, forests, and fields are all shining with light. How wonderful she danced for joy. What are you talking about? Akuin asked. Does the light shine up your asshole? Small as she was, she gave him a big push saying, I can see you're not enlightened yet. They both burst out laughing. So many, many times Hakuin was surrounded by women he held in laughing admiration, particularly a young girl he considered one of his most deeply realized students, Satsu. We can say that indeed he was free of all encrustations of conventional thought, of established hierarchies, including gender. So at the age of 48, 
they had the most extraordinary Kensho of his life. And it happened while he was reading the Lotus Sutra, which he had derided in his earlier years. All that reliance on Kanzeon, all that preaching on cause and effect. But now, great Kensho. And Buddha's words were his own. Everywhere in these three worlds is my home and all of its beings are my children. He was indeed flooded with great faith and great compassion and painted time and again pictures of Kanon Bodhisattva, which uh, we were told by the head priest at Shoinji when we visited, all looked like his mother. Hakuin said, Kensho is experienced with various degrees of clarity and profundity, but none can surpass a Kensho in which the entrance into enlightenment occurs after great and strenuous effort and is accompanied by a feeling of immense joy. When entrance into enlightenment occurs in a vague or halfway manner, students feel as though they are walking in the shadow of a lamp and then are not able to attain complete and utter freedom in what they do. That is why the priest Jimyo the one who pierced his thigh so often, called the great and strenuous effort expended by the ancients a radiant light that will always shine with great vigor. Hakuin died at 83 in 1768. But his life continues. We here practicing in the midst of the great COVID session. Hakuin there sitting at Shoinji during the eruption of Mount Fuji. Tore spoke of it saying, he used the threat of the imminent peril to gain an even greater concentration in his sitting. We are all living in this imminent peril. We know it as never before. It's now. What a perfect time we have. How fortunate we are to be able to sit, to have absolute conviction for our practice.
to sit knowing our lives depend upon it. The lives of all beings depend upon our waking up. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org slash donate. Thank you for listening.